And so, uh, what's with, uh, with this series? Well, the, the series, as I've said, I hope is one of the most unnecessary series I've ever preached. Uh, but if the storm clouds on the horizon of society uh, are indeed an indication of things to come, not what's going to come and pass, then I want to make sure that we know that, you've heard that, and you're prepared for that. And so we're going to do a dive today, and if you want to follow along in the CLC app, you can uh, follow the points in the Scripture verses are there. Talk about, first of all, that the Bible predicts end-time globalism. There is a trend toward a global culture, global government, and society that for baby boomers way back in the day, in the 70s, in my high school and college years, was really unheard of. Uh, there was strong nationalism. Each nation had their own currency. The idea of going to the euro dollar was like, wow, when that happened. Uh, the idea of having the United Nations was stress, stretching people enough, but now to have the, the, the G20 summit, the G10, whatever the, the different G, G levels are, uh, is something that's foreign. It was foreign just a half a century ago and less. And yet this globalization is something that is necessary for biblical prophecy to be fulfilled. Last night, I did a deep dive into a passage out of Daniel, and we decided as a team, I'm not going to read that today because it's probably drinking out of a fire hose a little too much. Join us Wednesday night at 7 because I will do a deeper dive theologically into what, what theologians call eschatology, end-time events, because a lot of Christians aren't sure of what's going to be happening next, and the Bible does give us indication of that. But in Daniel... Chapter 7, you can read about a dream. He had a very troubling vision. And in this vision, he, he dreams of these, this beast and all the different horns and heads and whatnot. Uh, and it, there's, there's a vision of ten horns, and out of that, ten kingdoms will arise, and a king will, will emerge out of that. And basically, as you unpack the entire vision of Daniel, uh, he prophesied several centuries before Christ, and yet... He predicted, for instance, the rise and fall of the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, things happening up until the time of Christ. But then he also predicted things that haven't happened yet that passed over the time of Christ and haven't happened at least to date now. And the 10 uh, horns that he speaks of is a 10-nation confederacy that will emerge in the end times. And out of that 10-nation confederacy, probably coming from uh, European nations, maybe Middle East, maybe even Northern Africa, but that 10-nation confederacy will emerge a ruler uh, who the Bible references as the Antichrist. But he'll be a world ruler who will uh, usher in uh, end times events. And that political uh, unity that is happening is also going to be accompanied by economic globalism. And we talk about a global economy, uh, and we say that on a regular basis, and we live in it on a regular basis, and many of us don't realize the theological significance of a global economy. But for this world ruler to really control things, and, you know, in a stewardship sense, they say, uh, God doesn't really have you until he has yours, all right? Having financial control is a level of control like few things can give you. And so this world ruler, uh, well, there will also be a globalization economically. In Revelation chapter 13, this verse, when I was in high school and college, sounded like science fiction. Uh, when I started preaching end time series, I would, because I feel like Christians should know when events are in the ballpark. 
so that as you hear the news, you can kind of filter that through a biblical lens. Uh, and uh, I'm not an the- a, a end times prophecy expert. There are people who do that. That's their sole focus. Uh, but this passage here sounded like science fiction uh, until recent decades. Revelation 13, 16, it says, And he causes all, speaking of the Antichrist, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. It doesn't appear we have enough uh, evidence yet to discern what 666 really means. But somehow it's tied to this world ruler, and it's tied to what now is getting clearer. It sounds like you're describing a cashless economy. I remember when I first started doing end times uh, prophecy series, I had a team of researchers who would research all the different fields for me. And one came back and said, wow, look at this technology. They actually have a piece of microchip the size of a grain of rice that can be inserted under your skin. It can have all kinds of data and be coded with that. And we're like, whoa, that looks like it's in the ballpark. Now there's nothing wow about it. I bet a lot of people here have their pets chipped. And there's talk about, wouldn't it be convenient to just have a microchip that you could insert under your hand? Or I don't know if I heard it said forehead, but you can't lose your forehead. And, uh, and, and you can go ahead and put your, your medical data there. You can put your financial data there. We already went through a quick test of this. Uh, in fact, when I was in the early years of prophetic series... I remember one of the one of those researchers said, "Hey, guess what? College campuses are now experimenting with going cashless." In fact, uh, Sinclair is one of them. Now I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're under 35, you probably don't have a $10 bill in your wallet because you're cashless. So cashless is necessary for revelation. To, and I'm not saying cashless is wrong, okay? Uh, but but it, it's, it's a necessary precursor in the economy to control it. And then you have the idea of there's some kind of mark that can be tied to technology in some way that you can't buy or sell without it. And we, like I said, we had practice with that when the pandemic hit. How, how many of us walked up to a restaurant and they said, no cash accepted? Sorry, right? All right? Just boom. And so as that becomes commonplace... You know, we don't take, now we don't take your card. We just take the chip. It'll, it'll, you can now see, it, it used to be, how in the world would this happen? All right? Now my, my prayer is, God, give me discernment because why would this not happen? It makes so much common sense. And yet somehow I'm saying, Lord, it must be, I hope, tied to, to a, a world ruler who has a demonic agenda that we'll be able to discern the right and wrong of that. But if it doesn't get clearer than that, all I know is if it comes to, hey, here's this technology, you put it in your hand and put it in your head so we don't lose it, I'm going to go, no. All right? But anyways. So there's economic. And, and here's the, and because here's the, here's the seriousness of this. If you reject it, the Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 13 uh, and, and Revelation chapter 14, if you reject it, not only does it put you in a difficult financial strait, imagine your accounts. Imagine your retirement accounts, your investment accounts, your bank account, all that stuff. And imagine you now no longer have access to it unless you get the, the data access to it. That's going to have huge control over people. If you take that mark, the Bible says, it's a mark of damnation. 
If you don't take that mark, not only is it persecution, it'll become a mark of death. Oh, you don't have the mark? You don't have the whatever? The Bible says it's a cause for martyrdom. I'm not making it up. It's Scripture. The introductory chapters of the book of Revelation say seven times, let he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so that's in Revelation 13, Revelation 14. Uh, it's in your notes. There's a globalization politically, economically, and spiritually. Revelation 13, verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, this Antichrist figure. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and you, you get it written in there by accepting Christ as your Savior, uh, if your name is not written there and you accept that mark and you worship the beast, it's, a, it's an act and mark of damnation. And now we're like, okay, we're going to worship some guy? Like, really? Well, I don't know that it will actually be that we make up like worship courses to this person. But we're certainly familiar with hero worship, are we not? Celebrity worship? I mean, you look at political rallies on any end of the agenda. You look at Putin's rally just in, in Russia not long ago. You look at how we celebrate and worship celebrities. I mean, a person can be famous for no other reason than they're famous, or they make a living, they make a living acting like they're someone else, and we record it. It's called an actor. And all of a sudden, their opinions really matter. And so we worship celebrities. So when you have a person that when, when there are some sort of events that happen, it's not just a pandemic, it's worse and more complicated. And, and there's this global, I mean, do you know how quickly we globalized our attitude over the pandemic? Because all of a sudden, the whole world's looking for who has the best idea how to stop this virus, right? And we adopted global behavior standards on how to handle it. And different countries agreed and disagreed, but there was this common ground, and so let's share research, whatever. As we globalize that way, bring some more problems that need somebody to figure this out, and then you have an emerging group of nations that kind of have the, the voice and the, the ear of the world, and then you have a leader that emerges from that. People are going to gravitate, well, he just has it figured out. And I could easily see some kind of political type rallies that kind of move around that person. Now, as I preach this message, I am aware of how unlike this is of perhaps lots of messages you've heard, although you've heard them here every couple of years. And I don't like the idea of being persecuted. I don't like the idea of being a martyr or suffering physically from my I don't like any of what I'm preaching. And yet I feel a responsibility to preach it in case it does happen. But here's the deal. Everybody say, but. We are not as those who have no hope. Amen. See, I'm not hopeless. As I hear this, everything you hear right now is actually good news that's a precursor, or bad news that's a precursor to the good news. So if it's pointing to the good news, it's kind of like undesirable good news. Here's the good news. When Jesus was on the planet, at the Last Supper, before he went to heaven, he made a promise to his disciples. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come again to receive you to myself. Jesus made a promise. He's coming back. That hasn't happened yet. And when he comes back, before he comes back, all this other junk is going to be going on and leading up to, but he's coming back. So we are not as those who have no hope. Say, we have hope. We have hope. All right, let's go to the next point. 
a war is brewing, pitting Russia, Iran, and their allies against Israel. And you might be saying, why are you going to CNN or Fox News or BBC uh, for a sermon point? No, I'm not. I'm actually going back a couple thousand years plus to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. That's what tells me, Ezekiel 38 and 39, that a war is brewing, pitting Russia and Iran and their allies against Israel. And because I know that from Ezekiel, and now I hear, because you, you know there's a war brewing between Russia, Iran, and Israel, one of two ways, or maybe both. One way is, you read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Another is, you listen to the news. And Iran is on the verge of nuclear empowerment. I'm not going to be surprised when they get it. And so Ezekiel tells us what's supposed to happen, what's going to happen. And so let's dive into uh, Ezekiel 38, verse 14, in what theologians call the War of Gog and Magog. Gog is reference to a, a, a national leader. Magog is a nation that happens to correspond with what is now modern-day Russia. Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? Pause button. Have you noticed and been pleasantly surprised at the treaties that Israel has been signing with Arab nations? Whoa, right? Are you listening to the news? You get, you nod your head like, yeah, wow, okay. They've been signing treaties with several Arab nations. Arab nations that wanted them off the face of the map. They're going to be living securely, Isaiah, Ezekiel says. There's going to be this growing, okay. Let's go on. You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly, and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days. Say in the last days. This hasn't happened yet. This is written over 2,700 years ago. This hasn't happened yet. In the last days that I will bring you against my land. So that the nations may know, know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O oh God. So Ezekiel is prophesying here that there's going to be this attack on Israel. And when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's like, it's like does not get your attention at all because we read it. And, and let me read the countries that are going to be allied with Magog. Uh, that's Rosh, Meshech, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Beth Togrima, uh, and Sheba and Dedan. That's like when we read chapters like that, we just kind of skim past. You know how you, you know how you have that long time ago material? I just kind of skim past it and try to get something for today, right? You ever do that in the Bible? I, I do it, all right? All right, now, how do you, when you read about this war that's going to happen between these nations and Israel, does it heighten your interest when I tell you the modern-day parallels of those nations? Because the modern-day parallel of those nations are Russia and the former Soviet republics, Iran, Sudan, Ethiopia, possibly Eritrea, which, by the way, there's horrendous persecution of Christians in Ethiopia right now, uh, martyrdom, imprisonment, it, it's horrible. Uh, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, also a lot of terrorism coming out of there. Turkey, possibly Germany and Austria. Uh, and... Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, and the Gulf states. Whoa. And this is in the last days. And those nations are going to ally together. Do those nations surprise anybody? 
No. So now, I see, what this is meant to do for Christians is have you kind of perk up and go, whoa. When you hear it on the news, whoa. Sounds like Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's in the ballpark. Because, again, he said, this is in the last days. Ezekiel prophesied stuff before Christ. He prophesied stuff way after Christ that hasn't happened yet. Everybody say, but. We are not as those who have no hope. Next point. Jesus predicted spiritual confusion, disasters, wars, lawlessness, and hatred of Christianity. Matthew 24, verse 3, he's telling his disciples this, and they're kind of getting a little nervous, just like we are. And, and so he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, uh, tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Lord, can you kind of give us a sneak preview? Can you kind of let us know what's a heads up? And so Jesus, and I'll encourage you to read Matthew 24, because uh, he unpacks in times in that chapter, and in chapter 24, uh, he tells them that there will be increasing wars and rumors of wars, not just nation against, against nation, but ethnic group against ethnic group within nations. There'll be an increase in natural disasters and in earthquakes. And I, I see, I look to see how is secular culture identifying theological truth? They do it all the time, all right? And, uh, and one thing that I hear a lot about is global warming and, and all the natural stuff that disasters that could happen from that. And I read the Bible, Jesus saying there'll be earthquakes, there'll be, there'll be famines, there'll be, uh, what we just had, pandemics, all that. It's like, okay, okay, I can, I can kind of see that. And, uh, and then in verse 9, because it's uh, germane to the message today, he says in verse 8, all these are merely the beginning of birth pains. All right, verse 8. When birth pains start, it tells you the baby's coming. And, and we read in Romans last week that all of creation suffers the pain, no childbirth together until now. And what's happening is that the, what's going to happen as that pain continues and it gets larger and larger and more intense and more intense. It's a great analogy. Like contractions get more intense. The circumstances are going to get more and more intense until guess what? It's not a baby being born. It's Jesus fulfilling his promise and coming back. So that's good news. He goes on in verse 9 and says, Then they'll deliver you to tribulation. And they'll kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. He's not talking about a lost crowd there. He's talking about followers. Most people's love will grow cold because of the immorality, because of distractions. And so I say to those of us that this is addressed to, don't let that happen to you. Most will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, there's that word again, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. But he talks about false prophets. He talks about lawlessness. He talks about many will fall away, deliver each other up. You hate it by all nations. And I have often said that 
I use as a grid for what I can preach. If I preach it here, it has to be true on other parts of the world. I can't preach an Americanized gospel. An Americanized gospel says, you accept Jesus and you are going to be healthy, wealthy, wise. It's going to be fun and comfortable and great and successful and all that kind of stuff. And that's what accepting Jesus is. And I'm like, I don't know what Jesus you're talking about. But he told me this. Imagine how Christians are, that Brother Joel talked about right now, Chinese Christians. Let's just go with that nation alone. And in that nation, there is not just arrest and torture, there is martyrdom, there, there is horrendous persecution for your faith. When Chinese Christians read this, what I just read you, what are they thinking? It's here. Right? It's on us. It's now. And somebody, their little small group, because they can't meet like this in China, says, lift up your heads, brothers and sisters. Our redemption's drawing nigh. Jesus is coming any day. And so he warned us. I hope that Brother Joel, he said that, you know, some people won't experience any hardship whatsoever. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> but just in case. And uh, Jesus also references a phenomena, a season that theologians believe is about a seven-year period of time, maybe three and a half. I'll talk about it Wednesday night. In verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. There is a period of a great tribulation coming that I believe, I believe for the most part, Christians will not go through that but I don't believe it's going to be like skipping along, everything's great, you know, and then the, the rapture happens and then the tribulation. I believe leading up to the, to the tribulation, things are going to get more difficult and more difficult and more difficult and then we'll be rescued from the worst of it. So, John and Timothy warned us. It's the epistle of Timothy, but actually Paul wrote it. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. But we see a lot of that nowadays, don't we? But we see a lot of that nowadays, don't we? Okay. Is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And in this same passage, verse 18, he says, Children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it's the last hour. If he thought it was the last hour then, it is certainly the last hour now. And so there is a spiritual force of, the, of Antichrist, Antichrist, Antichristian that we clearly see active in our culture. And there will then be one person who is the personification of that, the culmination of that, who is then the figure of the Antichrist when all these things finally go down. So John warns us about that. And if you are paying attention to what's happening in our legal systems and our universities, it's becoming increasingly illegal in this country to participate in Christian behaviors. Bible studies on a campus, sharing your faith in public. And we're wanting to say, well, it's something that you do in private. And so we're being consistently encroached upon. That's why it is so important who is in our judicial system. Now, with that said, 
Let me go a little further to look at Timothy, what Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy, by the way, would be martyred for his faith. Christian tradition tells us uh, in, in Ephesus, of all places, there was the worship of Diana there, and, and the people actually executed him. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, but realize this, Paul writes this to Timothy, in the last days, difficult times will come. Man, I wish the Bible didn't say that. I wish it said, man, in the last days, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be just blessings galore, and it's going to be comfortable and fun, and, what, and then Jesus comes, he's icing on the cake. Oh, in the last days, difficult times will come. And again, in China, in Russia, in the Middle East, parts of Africa, Christians are like, boy, they were right about that. For men will be lovers of selfies. It's amazing how narcissistic social media has made us and how insecure it's made us at the same time. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Talk to a school teacher who's been in a while to talk about the lack of respect for authority. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. In the last days, difficult times will come. That will be reason to freak out and panic. Everybody say, but. We are not as those who have no hope. So let's, uh, let's look at what Scripture tells us. And uh, the Bible creates our expectations Remember the last series, make a good decision, make the decision good. One way of making the decision good, I have decided to follow Jesus, have the right expectations, and okay, in the last days, difficult times will come. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. Okay, Lord, then, then if it happens, it happens. I'm ready for it, and I'm going to persevere through this. And the people of Thessalonica that th these two letters were written to, I'll read from 1 Thessalonians, you can tell that they heard about uh, the rapture of the church, uh, which is where Christ comes uh, and catches the church away, all right? And that's not the same thing, I don't believe, as the second coming of Christ. I'll talk about that Wednesday night. And so after the rapture of the church, that's when all hell breaks loose with the great tribulation and whatnot, and that finally comes to end and end with the second coming of Christ. The Thessalonian believers, it appears that they were kind of like panicking and freaking out because they thought the rapture happened and they missed it, and now it's the great day of the Lord. It's the wrath of God. And some of you, how many of you were raised on rapture theology as a kid and you were always scared to death you'd miss it? You had an occasion you thought you did. Let me see. I remember I did once, all right? And I was going through the house. Nobody was home. I'm like 11 years old. Mom, Dad! Oh, God, if it's not too late, please, right? The Thessalonians were like that, all right? And so they're like, oh, the day of the Lord's happened. The great wrath is here. This, the, the period of, of wrath is coming. And, and, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, that God delivers us from the wrath to come. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath. So that period of tribulation is an outpouring of God's wrath. Boy, you read the book of Revelation and the pouring out of those bowls of wrath, okay? It gets more and more and more intense. And you see more and more natural disaster, political disaster, military disaster, disease, death, all that. We are not destined for that, Paul says. So how do we not go to that? Well, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 some of the best news in the Bible. 
Better news than this is Jesus promised he's making a place for you and me in heaven and he's coming back for us. And so, great. And then Acts 1.8, where we have our God-sized vision, after he tells them to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts, what happens? The Bible says he started to ascend up into the clouds, right? Nod your head, all right? Go back and read Acts 1. And the disciples are like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? You know, do you ever watch a balloon, healing balloon, you let go, you watch it so you can't see it anymore? And so they're watching him go up into the clouds. And while they're standing there, just in shock, he's gone. These angels appear behind him and go, what are you guys staring at? It was just, and they see these angels and they say, this same Jesus will return in the same way he left. Key statement. How'd he leave? Hold that thought. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have died, so you will not grieve as do the rest who what? Who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, say amen. Okay, if you believe that, here's the good news. Even so, God will bring with him those who have died with faith in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And Paul was very careful in his writings that there were some things that just came from him. And he would say, this isn't the Lord, this is me saying this. And there are some things he would say, this is a word from the Lord, direct word from God. That we who are alive remain till the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain be caught together with them, where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, scare each other to death with these words. <laughs> Comfort one another with these words. So I have some comforting news for you. When Jesus makes the promise, he keeps it. And when angels make a promise on his behalf, he keeps it. And when angels said, this same Jesus that you saw ascend, he's going to come back in the same way. He is, there is going to come a time he's going to say to the angel, you know what, it's time, let's round him up. And he will return for us in the clouds in the rapture of the church, not the second coming. And there will be a trumpet and there will be an angel yell something like, let's go, or whatever they say. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Let me clear some, un, some unclarity or, or confusion. Because somebody said, well, what about, you know, people who are dead? And, and I thought they're in heaven to be absent with the body, present with the Lord, right? Nod your head like you know that verse, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. We comfort ourselves all the time. Well, you know, we're looking at them in the casket. Well, they're absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. Okay, but then what's this about where we're going to have this trumpet blow? Well, we were created body persons. And a parallel to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a triune God, we're created body, soul, and spirit. And our spirits long to be clothed, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, with a body. It's interesting, when, when the demons, Jesus was about to cast the demons out of the man, what they say? Send us somewhere. We want to, be inhabit, we want to inhabit something. Okay, he sent me to a herd of pigs. But our bodies long to be clothed, Paul says. And so when a Christian dies, their spirit goes to be, their ashes from the body, they're present with the Lord. 
And so their body is buried, waiting for this moment when Christ comes back with the rapture of the church. And when that trumpet sounds and that angel shouts, the dead in Christ will rise first, their body. And somewhere between here and with Jesus, their body will be a glorified body, will once again be reunited with their soul, their spirit. And then we will catch up with them in the air with a glorified body. And the older I get, the more of an upgrade that is, right? And we will always be with the Lord. So what do we do in the meantime? Hunker down, get your ammo, we're going to... No, that's not the response. Some Christians will go that way. That's not the response. Jesus does say you can flee, but our weapons aren't against flesh and blood. They're spiritual. So here's what... So Jesus, knowing all this stuff is going to happen, here's his parting words to his followers. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And when you do that, next verse. There you go. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a great promise, but there's a premise. We like to separate the promise from the premise. We like to say, he will never leave me or forsake me. Well, if I live like hell, do my own thing, disobey God and go my own way, he didn't say, oh, I'll just follow you around and make sure. No, no, he said, as long as you live on mission to make disciples, to take the gospel to the world, as long as you live with me in mind and you want to make sure that people know me, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. You might say, I'm no brother at all. I'm not called the communist China. No, but Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. On the count of three, I want you to some say someplace, you're going to be either today and tomorrow besides where you live. Ready? One, two, three. There. Take Christ there. Be the best example of Jesus somebody knows there. And Tuesday, do it again there. Wednesday, do it again there. Thursday, do it again there. Because Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now, he was speaking there prophetically about his crucifixion. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to myself. But the principle is still true. Our desire as a church is to lift up Jesus Christ. And as we do, he draws all people to himself. And so knowing all these things, we are not as those who have no hope. And as these things take place, we are strengthened and we are encouraged. Because you know what? Jesus prophesied this. The Bible spoke about this. And it is true and coming to pass. So I can't wait until what you're going to hear Wednesday night. That there is actually, this is going to, you know how this all ends? A new heaven and a new earth. No sickness, no suffering, no injustice, no pain, no abuse. None of it. It is gone. And so stand with us. And we want to declare the name of Jesus to a world that needs it now more than ever before. Over it.
against flesh and blood. That's not it. Jesus does say when persecution happens, you can flee, you can flee. But right now, more than ever before, we declare and lift up the name Jesus. We've got a great opportunity coming. Many of you, if I took a show of hands, accepted Christ. There was a process going on, but you accepted Christ at church in a service. Well, Easter's coming. It is our biggest service of the year, tied right around with, with our Christmas weekend. And it's one of the greatest times people come to know Christ. And so we want you, as you leave, uh, to go ahead and uh, stop and pack some eggs and, and get that invitation ready for Easter. Because here's the message of Easter. Months ago, the team said, okay, where are we going to go Easter time? You know, I said, I feel like we've been kind of pushed back on our heels with everything that's happened in the last two years. And we're supposed to be on offense. The theme is believe. For non-believers, now go change your world. But for those of us who are Christians, 95% of our crowd Easter weekend, it's believe again. Now go change your world. So I don't know what kind of disposition you've had, what kind of attitude you've been in, what kind of hunker down. No, believe again. Come on. Jesus called us to change our world. Jesus called us to be salt and light. Jesus called us to be the people. We are the ones who have hope. We're the ones who have no fear because we have his perfect love that casts out all fear and our lives and our light will shine brightly till the day he comes. And so on your way out, not to over-spiritualize plastic eggs and candy, but if we're fishing for fishers of men, all right? Stop by there, pack some eggs, there's snacks for you as well. God bless you. We'll see you this Wednesday night.